Hello, friends. I'm Luke, and I serve on the music team at Holy Family. We continue to hear stories from people like you who listen to the Holy Family podcast and consider Holy Family your church. And whether you're someone who's constantly on the go, hasn't found a church community where you live to which you can belong, or someone who's wondering about the shape of your faith, we are honored to be with you by sharing these reflections from our Sunday liturgies. We rely on the generosity of our congregation, which includes you wherever you listen, to help our ministry achieve and maintain financial health. If this podcast has been a gift to you, would you consider making a contribution so that we can continue offering resources that welcome questions, curiosities, and doubts? You can make a gift by following the link in our show notes. That's at holyfamilyhtx.org. From Holy Family HTX, an Episcopal church for people without a church, this is the Holy Family Podcast, a collection of ideas about leading a Jesus-centered life. We clearly explore the church's understandings while bringing our own questions, curiosities, and doubts, and we never demand fake agreement. Theological exploration is just better that way. So, let's take a moment of silence as we get ready to contemplate today's ideas. You know, sometimes people tell me that they are cool with Jesus, but they're just not as cool with his followers. Now, while I appreciate that sentiment, in my head, I'm always kind of wondering, are you sure about that? I mean, you ever really spent much time with Jesus? Today's gospel is kind of a classic example of a story that makes me dubious that People say they don't have any problems with Jesus at all, and they just think that his parables are just lovely. The parables of Jesus are made-up stories. Now, it's really not controversial. He literally just makes them up. Says, uh, you heard the one about? And then he launches in. Parables are, well, they're avant-garde, art house, short films. They're meant to provoke. They're meant to evoke. They are meant to invite interpretation. With their unusual and their highly symbolic content, rather than mass entertainment or documentaries telling you exactly how it is, not trying to entertain you or educate you. They're trying to evoke something out of you. And they are offered to us in this format, parable art so that it sticks with us and you know how sometimes they sit an interview an interviewer will sit a director down and force them often uncomfortably to explain their film that they made that little 30 second explanation is never meant to be a replacement for the actual film itself yeah the film itself is told in a way that is supposed to make you keep wondering 
And if you try to get cute with it and press it into a literal one-to-one analog with something else, you're ruining it and you're really not letting it work its own charms on you. Well, so it is with Jesus Christ's parables. Now, last week, his short film was about a gardener who refused to garden carefully. This week's short film is another one about a gardener. Maybe it's the same one, and I don't know. This gardener's field is full of wheat and weeds. (laughs) Got to get that plural right. (laughs) At first glance... The type of weeds that he mentions, um, darnel, it looks a whole lot like wheat. And eventually people in his film start complaining to the gardener. "Uh, Hey, didn't you put good seed in in this field? How come there's so much weeds everywhere? Now, in the the film, you don't get much of an answer from the gardener. "Uh, Yeah, I put the good stuff in here. Uh, An enemy must have put the bad stuff in. Okay, well, that's not really satisfying, but um, well, why don't we just move on to what we ought to do about it? We should get rid of all these weeds, right? And the gardener in Jesus' short avant-garde film says, nah, that's too risky. There's no way that you would just pull out the weeds without taking a whole bunch of wheat with it, and I, I'm, I'm not ready to you know, pull the trigger on that. Well, what are we supposed to do then? Let it be. This field is just going to have weeds and wheat. Now, later on, harvest is coming, and I'll send a message to the reapers to collect the weeds, and then they can be bound up and burnt and put uh, the wheat into my barn. Finn. So deep. (laughs) It's like a 10-minute standing ovation at Cannes. Wow, he did it again. Now, Jesus' short film makes us think really deeply about the world that we live in. And it challenges us to tell a more complex story that has no easy answers. Uh, I am growing ever more suspicious of uh, Christians who have cheap, easy answers to everything. Jesus tells a more complex story about the world we live in. We live in a world that wants our fields to be pure and clearly segregated. Good guys and the bad guys. The wheat and the weeds. We live in a world where alleged leaders continue to outdo themselves by banning books and maiming migrants and eradicating mandated water breaks and record-setting heat. And you get the idea that people in our world are really only going to be happy once they have whittled the population down to those who are predetermined to fit. There's a word for that approach. It's a phrase, actually. It's two words. Purity culture. But you know, purity culture is not just fundamentalism that polices swimsuits on church outings. Purity culture also smugly weeds problematic people out of your life because they're just not as sinless as you and they don't see things quite as crystal clear as you do. No Republicans here, please. Dear God, no Democrats here, please. Yeah, well, we hate bigots. 
Well, yeah, well, we hate the way that you're ruining our way of life. Well, you're on the wrong side of history. We love to tell a story that we live in a divided world. But everybody seems to be pretty bought into a vision of life free from problematic people who keep ruining the party for everybody else. Purity culture is a fantasy and it is a fetish about removing the weeds from the wheat. And Jesus Christ tries to tell us a more honest story about the world we live in where we're all in it together. The puritanical fetish always says, now our group's going to get it right. Stand back. We'll get it right. We're going to keep it pure now. And we're going to surveil all of our people. And we're going to make sure that they stay committed to the cause. And we're going to refuse to become complicit. Because we all know that being complicit means you become contaminated. And our standards are so stringent. We, no heresies here. No place to work it out. No disagreements. Nothing else to be learned. Everyone will be on the same page at all times. We'll call it utopia. Because we're going to denounce and we're going to shun anybody who doesn't meet our standards. And if anybody that we denounce, you know, tries to repent, they can forget it. They have been marked for life. Forgiveness is compromise, and we don't traffic in that. Forgiveness has become the real F word that we should never utter. Uh, Dan White Jr. Uh, did a straw poll on uh, 829 folks across 13 cities in 2019. His results were that 76% of those who identified as, quote, progressive saw loving their enemies as being complicit with injustice. And 78% of those who identified as so-called conservative saw loving your enemies as a compromise with immorality. So once again, when people tell me, oh, I'm good with Jesus, you sure you want Jesus? I mean, really? Jesus Christ tells people like me and you who want to sort out the world into weeds and wheat and who want to purify the field from any contamination by others, Jesus tells a story, a provocative story that says, eh, hold back. Don't sort it out yet. That's too risky. You run the risk of destroying any good we got going. Why don't you just leave it to God? What are we supposed to do, though? Come on now, Lord, get serious. Wait for God, Jesus says, and try to become, as a church, a community of patience who learns how to tend to the whole garden with no wool over your eyes, very aware that there are weeds and there are wheat in this world, but we're going to care for the whole garden. And we will trust that God knows better than any of us what to do with any weeds that are still going to be around at whatever the end ends up being. And Jesus Christ came into a world chocked full of wheat and weeds. And how did that go for him, by the way? Did he go around eradicating all the weeds? No. He became the weed that we eradicated by gathering him up binding him to a cross and putting him out there with much weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
but then he resurrected. And unlike great 80s action movies where he comes back with vengeance, he comes back to those who were hostile to him with a message of peace. Holy Family, I mean, this is dense, but I don't know another way to put it. And I'm trying to believe it. Jesus Christ's death and resurrection is God's judgment on the world. The world has already been judged. The world has already come to an end. A new world was recreated at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That gives you and I the ability to be patient and let God's justice of death and resurrection reshape our notions of justice. Now, I know you, and I've been on vacation for two weeks, so I'm ready to go for a little more. <laughs> so, I know some of you are still probably a little concerned or get a little you about the fire images in today's gospel, yeah? Okay. How are you supposed to make sense of the Bible's images of fire? Now, many American Christians make a choice, and it is a choice, to read the Bible's fire images as images of God punishing us. I'm telling you that's a choice. I'm telling you that's not the only choice. I'm telling you there's a better choice. And I do not think these images of fire are about God's eternal conscious torture chamber. I think these images are about what the Bible calls sanctification. Being made holy. Think about a ceramic artist. Once she has formed her piece from the clay, she puts it into a kiln. Do you have any idea how hot those kilns have to get? Dangerously hot. Like, allegedly, 1,800 to 2,400 degrees hot. Now, ceramic artists, they have to fire their clay, otherwise the piece remains too fragile, really. The intense heat, what it does is it burns away all of the little bitty impurities that are on that piece. Ceramic artists fire their clay to perfect their pot, not to destroy that pot. You with me so far? Inside the kiln, a transfiguration occurs. The pot goes in as clay, and if it gets so hot, it's such an intensity, it actually comes out as glass. Did you know that the, one of the Bible's favorite ways to describe God is by using images of fire? Think about Exodus 3. God comes to Moses through a burning bush. Exodus 24, the Lord's glorious presence looked like a blazing fire on top of the mountain. God led God's people through the wilderness with a pillar of fire by night. And in Deuteronomy, <laughs> that one, Deuteronomy chapter 4, Israel's God is described as an all-consuming fire. Now, I know that preachers like me have trafficked fire images as, you know, God's punishment, but it's actually almost always God's presence. And when you are in the kiln of God's fiery love, it is going to burn away all of the dehumanizing impurities 
and like that can seem scary, but God is never trying to destroy you. God is always trying to perfect you and God is not trying to destroy this world. God is trying to perfect this world and all of the dehumanizing parts will not last, but you will last, which is why it is important to cultivate the wheat in the garden when you find it rather than only focusing on the weeds. And there's a lot of dehumanization that, just, that, that humans have wrought on this world. All of the evil and the injustice and the oppression, that will be burned away ultimately in the presence of God's love. 1 Corinthians 3.15 says, if, if anyone's work goes up in flames, it will be gone, but they themselves will be saved through fire. All of the dehumanizing work, according to the Bible, will one day be gone. But we ourselves will remain as if we've gone through a fire or a kiln. And if you have ever tried to work at making a change, you know that that can be painful. You ever actually, actually tried to make a change? That doesn't feel good. But you are loved by the consuming fire that is God. And what that means, Holy Family, is that over time, the Holy Spirit's fire will fall on you just like it did on the day of Pentecost. And God's fiery presence is not meant to punish you or destroy you. It is meant to make you more truly human by burning away all of the evil that has its clutches in our lives. Being close to this fire can make you warm. Being close to this fire might burn. But being close to this fire can also bake wheat into bread to become the body of Christ, to be consumed by the consuming fire. find more resources to help you lead a Jesus-centered life at holyfamilyhtx.org. Again, it's holyfamilyhtx.org.